We would like to thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Join us as we embark on a new series on worship titled, Bless the Lord. David, who would one day be king of Israel, penned these words in Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. These words should inspire us to dive deeper into the scriptures to discover what would cause men like David to live an expressive lifestyle of worship. We all worship. The question is, will we bless the Lord? We believe God will move powerfully as you apply these principles of worship to your everyday life. If you would like more information on the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com. Uh, so good being with you guys. You're so well behaved. Um, I'm used to worshiping with one eye open, looking behind me, because some of those kids, they like to sneak up on you. I've given, I've given quite a few piggyback rides during worship next door. But I'm excited to be with you this morning to share about this thing called worship uh, because as you know in Calvary Kids we've been teaching on worship uh, for about the past six weeks and we've had a lot of fun with it and amazingly enough the kids are just are, are, are getting it. They're, they're dialing in. We're, we're playing songs that, that are not so much this. They're more, they're more worshipful songs and, and they're getting it. It's, it's really not this complicated theological concept. Um, we, just, we just talk about worship, talk about who God is, and, and the kids are getting it. And so it's been amazing. And so I'm, I'm kind of stirred up to talk about worship. Uh, I've, I love this series we're in, uh, Bless the Lord, out of Psalm 34. Um, it's been an amazing uh, set of uh, teachings. Uh, but i got to say my favorite one is, is the first one, where I actually learned the backstory of Psalm 34. Like, I didn't know this. I didn't know there was this like really weird backstory to Psalm 34. Um, if you didn't hear that hear that uh, sermon, you can, you can check it out on the podcast on our website, or I could just give you a real brief synopsis. Um, David finds himself in a difficult situation. He actually finds himself in a place where he shouldn't be, and he's surrounded by the enemy. And imprisonment and death are really good options at this point for him. And so, in that moment of desperation, he cries out, "God." Help me. And he does. And God gives him this word. Act crazy. (laughs) Which is crazy, right? But he does it. So King David acts insane around all these other people. And it works. These people are like, why would I want this guy anywhere near me? get, Get rid of him. Send him home. And so I imagine David, as he walks through his door that's surrounded by his, his, his walls, uh, his army, his people, he feels safe. That's where Psalm 34 was born. So I imagine David in that moment, I mean, have you ever been that, in that spot where you just messed up and by God's grace, he's like, here, let me get you out of this. And you're, you're, you're flooded with gratitude. And that's where David is. He walks into his house, realizes he's saved, God has rescued him, and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on these lips because he's awesome. I called out to him and he answered me. 
My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. He is excited about what God has done. And I see David, he's in this, this place of awe at what God has done. Because one more time, David gets a glimpse of how powerful God is and what God did for him. He's genuinely in awe at God. And I believe it's this sense of this awe, this understanding of how awesome God is that drove David's worship. And with this in mind, I, wanna, I, I know all of us would agree that, that we serve an, an awesome God, right? I mean, amen to that. I mean, he is everything we sang about this morning, which was amazing, by the way, wherever all you people are at. Awesome. Um, but even though all of us would agree that we serve an awesome God, sometimes it's hard to have a habit of sincere worship like David did, right? I've been pondering this, this idea for a few weeks and, and wondering what is it that keeps us from worship? And there are many things in our lives that compete for our affection. We at times, we're amazed at what God's done, but real quickly, we're also amazed at other things. Like those new Google cars that drive up and down the road all by themselves. I mean, what? All of a sudden, we, we forget what God's done. We quickly move past that feeling to something else. In our society, there is so much that competes for our attention and our affection. And we have got to understand that does affect our worship. See, as a generation, our awe factor has exponentially increased over the last five to ten years. Meaning what used to impress us, not so much. Um, like, I have, a, I have a friend of mine, uh, Pete. Come on up here. He's going he's gonna to do something for us. He, he says he can do something to impress us. Oh, look at that. So, Pete, um, what are you going to do for us today? I'm going to do a backflip. A backflip. Wow. Have you ever seen a backflip from this stage before? Luke, we're raising the bar. All right. So... So you, you signed all that paperwork that we had you <laughs> sign? Okay, good. All right, guys. All right, so uh, just, just have at it, man. Just act like we're not here. Whoa! That's awesome. That backflip, you landed it, and it was, it was really impressive. Um, but, you know, I saw this YouTube video once, right? And this guy, he did this back, well, you know what? Let's just, I, I, I got a video. Let's, let's watch it. Over the house. Yeah. That's like 27. Now listen, Pete, your, your, your backflip was impressive. It, just, it was just lacking some background music and some fire, right? I mean, you weren't on fire, but you know, I, 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 think, I think you could, you know, one, one day, you know. Um, so everybody, let's give Pete a round of applause. It takes a lot of guts and a lot of skill to do what Pete just did. Um, you guys see what I mean? 
Thanks to online services like YouTube and Netflix, our awe factor has increased. Like, you think it's impressive to shoot a basketball and make it from half court? I've seen it done from a 40-story building. And thanks to Netflix, we've invented terminology like binge-watching. To describe what we do as we watch television shows that have over 371 plot lines and there's a cliffhanger at the end of every single episode. We have conditioned our minds to live in constant awe all the time. And that's going to affect our worship. What used to impress us is now, eh, no big deal. I've seen better. With so many things going on in our lives, with so much competing for our affection, how do we live lives of worship? Where we are truly moved through our days being most impressed by who God is and what he's going to do in our lives. Thinking about this question, I went to the New Testament and I studied worship. And it's hard to look in the New Testament and not be hit in the face with the story of Mary who I believe was the quintessential worshiper in the New Testament. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find numerous characters. Obviously, Jesus and the disciples, they're the main characters, right? But then after them, you get Zacchaeus, King Herod, the high priest, all these one-hit wonders that show up and then disappear. You never hear from them again, except for Mary. Mary's mentioned numerous times. She's in all four of the Gospels. And after Jesus and the disciples, she's given more ink than anyone else in the Bible. It's almost as if as God is saying, hey, you want to check this out. I've illustrated something here for you. So I want to examine Mary's life this morning because Mary's relationship with Jesus teaches us some powerful truths about worship. So to kind of set the stage to show you that she is the quintessential worshiper. And just in case you don't know who Mary is or which Mary we're talking about. Um, we're going to take a look at Matthew 26 and see something that Jesus said about Mary. Matthew 26 says, While he was in Bethany, reclining at a table in the, t- in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now this is a picture of extreme, extravagant worship. It was said by one of the disciples, that perfume was almost a year's wage. So it was extravagant in its value. But it was also perfume. Have you ever been around somebody that has one too many squirts of that stuff? It's pretty strong. So Mary takes the sprayer off and dumps it on Jesus. And so it's also extravagant in the application. People around her are like... You did what? With what? No, that isn't what? And so it was this picture of extravagant worship that led us to put a vision on the wall out front. We want to be a church that together we extravagantly love Jesus the way Mary did. But not only did it impress us, but it also impressed Jesus. Because she says something pretty profound. Everybody in the room, they had their opinion of what she did. But Jesus had the final say. He says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You see, Jesus is saying something very profound here. We can't miss it. He's saying, it's important that you tell my story. 
but it's also important that you tell her story. Now, I know the story of Jesus has a greater impact on the world, a bigger, bigger difference than our, in our lives, but we can't deny what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you tell my story, you need to tell her story as well. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, there's something about Mary that you need to know. He didn't say, tell her story because of what she did. It wasn't, Jesus wasn't moved by the smell of perfume. He was moved by Mary. He said, tell her story in memory of her. Who she is and what she does. There is something about Mary that we need to get to know. And it has something to do with worship. So we can see why Jesus would call her the quintessential worshiper. And so my first question is, how'd she get there? And we see the beginning of Mary's worship career in Luke chapter 10. When we first meet Mary, we find her at a very strategic place. Luke 10 verse 38 says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, to be honest, the first time I heard this story, read this story, I was on Martha's side. I was like, yeah, you're just sitting at his feet. Come on, do something. But as I read on, I realized, whoops, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So the first thing we learn from Mary is that worship is a choice. Mary chose to go against the grain a little bit, and by doing so, she chose to focus on the one thing that mattered, Jesus. And as she was sitting there, what do you think was going through her mind? She was probably recounting all the things that, that, that Jesus has done and, and all that the Old Testament has said about Jesus. And, and, and she was listening to every word he said. And as she sat there listening to every word, Jesus became more and more amazing to her. As she sat close to Jesus, hanging on every word, her curiosity turned to adoration. And her adoration became awe. And she found herself in awe at this man in front of her. I think all of us at, at some point have felt this pull. It's like when God's presence comes in and we feel an overwhelming draw towards God. When Mary felt this draw, she, she made a choice to stop what she was doing and lean in to that drawing. She chose to focus on Jesus and she began to experience the most important ingredient of true worship. Adoration. She adored who Jesus was. So Mary made this choice to worship, but she, also, but she didn't stop there. She also chose where to sit. And through Mary's actions, we see that worship, worshipers position themselves. As Mary felt the drawing of the Holy Spirit, she sat as close as she could to Jesus. Now, I don't know if the last time when you sat at someone's feet, but uh, one thing I do know, it doesn't happen by accident. Mary was very intentional. She could have upset Mary just as easy as being in the room with Jesus. But she chose to sit at his feet. And when you're at somebody's feet, 
it's impossible not to hear what they're saying. Mary had the best seat in the house. Not only could Mary hear every word, but she could hear every inflection of his voice. And as he spoke, she actually felt the compassion of her words because of her position. But when you sit at someone's feet, you don't only hear all the words that they're saying, but when you sit at someone's feet, they can't help but notice you. Psalm 34 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Jesus may have been talking to the room, but from what I know about Jesus, Mary had his attention. So as he was talking to the room, I know there were a few personal exchanges between him and her. And so when we position ourselves to worship, worship becomes deeply personal. And when worship becomes personal, that's when true life change takes place. So when we choose to worship by fixing our gaze on God, we choose to position ourselves into an attitude of worship. And our worship becomes personal. When our worship becomes personal, our faith explodes. And all of a sudden, we discover what it's like to be speechless in His presence. To be in awe of who He is. Now, I don't know what that position looks like for you. For me, it means getting up a little earlier or going to bed a little later when my house is quiet. And yes, it, it does interfere with my sleep schedule. But it's worth it. And when I do this, I start off by just saying thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you're doing in my family's life and in my church. Thank you for what you've done and thank you what you're going to do. It be, I begin to just thank him. And as I position myself in an attitude of worship, I put myself in a place where I can hear God. See, we got to be the ones driving this. We must make the choice to recount and remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done. Not just in our lives, but also in his word. By sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary chose to focus solely on him. She was determined to get as close as she could to avoid as many distractions as possible. And we can do the same thing. When we position ourselves into an attitude of worship, it's like we are sitting where Mary sat. And the voice of God becomes more clear, and His love for us becomes tangible. Worship is a choice. When we choose to position ourselves, it becomes deeply personal. The, this first encounter with, with Mary and Jesus really sets the stage for what, we, what happens next in Mary's life. You see, in John 11, we see Mary coming to a crisis of belief. A crisis in her worship. You see, Mary... Had a, brother, had a brother named Lazarus, and he was sick. So he, her and Martha did what they knew to do. They called on Jesus, and he didn't show up. John 11, verse 3 says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, and this is a really odd statement. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You see, we know and Jesus knew he had a bigger plan for Lazarus. 
But guess who didn't know? Mary. Mary didn't know. And so Jesus and disciples, they, they continue to do what they do for a couple more days. And then Jesus says, all right, guys, let's go see Lazarus. And so they make the trip back. And as Jesus enters town, we'll pick it up in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, oh, oh sorry. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Martha, therefore, when she heard Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed home. This same woman that you couldn't keep her away from Jesus, now is choosing not to see him. Now, we don't know what the conversation was like in in their home, but based on the details, knowing human nature, I think we can kind of guess what that sounded like. Hey, Mary, I heard, I just heard Jesus is coming in. I'm going to go see him. You want to come? Jesus is coming. Now he's coming. Lazarus has been dead four days. Now Jesus comes. We sent for him with plenty of time. And now he wants to show up. No, Martha, you go without me. I'm going to stay at the house. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a a place where you really thought God was going to come through and do something? Or you just knew God could fix this if he wanted to, but he doesn't? That's where Mary was. They sent for Jesus in plenty of time. And we see that Jesus purposely stayed where he was. So I think we can all understand why Mary stayed home. But Martha, thank God for Martha. She's like, I'm going to go see him. Because I have something to say. Now, an interesting thing about this story is it starts in... Uh, chapter 11, verse 1, and it goes to verse 44. And we all know that this story is about the resurrection of Lazarus. But guess where that resurrection takes place? Verse 43 and 44. So the bulk of this story is not even about the resurrection. It's about the conversation that God wants to have when expectations aren't met. It's about what happens when when the unthinkable happens. How How does that affect our worship? What are we to do with that? In verse 21, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which, can we just all say, she's probably right. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, oh, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. I love this. You know what this conversation reminds me of? It reminds me of a conversation between Pastor Otis and Chris Wood. You see, those two guys, they talk theology for fun. They talk doctrine and, and these deeper things. And I last about seven minutes in these conversations. Within three minutes, I'm completely lost. And it takes me about four minutes to find a polite way to exit the conversation. Right? And so, so I see that's what this kind of conversation is. Jesus and Mar- Martha are having this conversation. And Martha's saying, I know what the Bible says, that he will rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus said, well, I, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will not die. And, and she's like, oh, I believe you are the Christ. Even, and even in him who comes into the world. Like, I don't even know what all that means. But it works for Martha. She leaves that conversation and goes straight to Mary and says, you've got to go see Jesus. You've got to talk to Jesus. That conversation was enough for Martha. And it's moments like this where I'm glad I'm, I'm not Jesus. Because I would have handled that a whole different way. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hold on. I got this. Okay. I'm Jesus and I'm here now. I know I'm a little late, but don't worry. I got this, I got this covered. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus had a conversation. And so then Mary, Martha goes and finds Mary and says, listen, the teacher is calling for you. And in verse 28, we see, and when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha met him. And in verse 32, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, now notice, Mary is, is probably a little miffed at how Jesus handled the situation with Lazarus, okay? But she still worships. She still falls at the feet, calls him Lord. Just because she's upset at the situation, she doesn't stop believing. I think that's important for us to understand. She still believes he's the Lord. He, she still believes he's the Messiah. And so she treats him accordingly. But look what she says next. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is the exact thing Martha said. Which helps us understand, yeah, there's, there's an issue here. There was some conversation prior. Um, they've, that, that statement was probably said three or four times in their house following the days of their brother's death. So it was an issue. Might even say a hurt or an offense that they had against Jesus. I'm really glad they didn't have Sunday school back then because these are not Sunday school answers. Had they had Sunday school, they might have said something a little bit different. But they were brutally honest in this moment. So Mary comes to Jesus and she, because she cares about this relationship, She loves Jesus and she trusts him and she was hurt by him. And because she cares, instead of letting the elephant in the room remain hidden, she blurts it out. 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Watch what Jesus does. The exact same statement from Martha gets a completely different response when it comes from Mary. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. I don't get this. Jesus showed up to raise him from the dead, but yet now he's weeping. Why? Is he weeping for Lazarus? Or is he weeping for Mary? Or is he weeping with Mary? See, sometimes we come in, into this place where we come into worship and we think we got to all have it together, but Mary didn't have it all together, and Jesus was okay with that. Instead of correcting her doctrine or helping her have stronger faith, he just wept right alongside of her. He was so deeply moved and troubled, and, and he wept in such a way that the Jews around him had no idea what he was about to do. So we see that he's, he's genuinely moved by this moment. Jesus let himself enter into that moment of disappointment and grief so honestly right alongside Mary. At the beginning of this story, the Bible makes an interesting statement. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard they were sick, he then stayed there two days longer. Because he knew there was a lesson in this. But I think we could read it this way this morning. For God so loved all of us that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I think God wants to teach all of us something. And the obvious truth is that God can exercise resurrection power. But another truth I'd like you to consider from this story is that worship demands honesty. We've got to be real when we come to worship. And if we've got a hurt or a frustration, whether it's with God or with somebody else, we've got to bring that to worship. We've got to bring that and just give it to God and say, I don't know what else to do with this, but here it is. Worship demands honesty. I want to finish up this morning back at the beginning where we started in Matthew 26. Now that we know Mary's backstory and how she chose to sit at the feet of Christ and, and how in a faith-challenging moment she chose brutal honesty, maybe now it's a little more clear why Jesus would say something so extravagant here in Matthew 26. Let me read it to you again. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, before Jesus finishes and says the thing that he said about her in the beginning, he makes a couple statements that I want to I close with this morning. See, after she poured the, the perfume on, on Jesus, verse 4 says, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. That just sounds mean. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Mary's sincere intentions created an awkward situation. 
But it wasn't awkward for Jesus. He stood up and said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. In this moment, Jesus stands between Mary and her accusers and tells them, stand down. Mary discovers that when you stand for God, God stands for you. I think Mary would would tell us worship is worth fighting for because there's going to be times when we're going to be distracted or times we don't feel like worshiping or there might be even times when worship... I don't know how you... You know, I'm just going to say it. Sometimes worship is just awkward, isn't it? It can be awkward. Seriously, think about it. If, if you don't go to church, where else do you sing out loud publicly? Right? What we do here on Sunday, it's not, it's not normal if you think about it. I remember my first worship service. I didn't, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't know anything. So I show up, and if I were to describe in words my experience, it would be words like shocked, mortified, confused. I had no idea what was going on. There were people who could not sing who were singing. There were people waving their hands, and I, did, I couldn't tell who they were waving at. Nobody was waving back, and it wasn't in unison, so I know it wasn't an exercise. So I, I, I'm like, is this an auction? Like, what, what's going on? I was, I was so confused. Worship can be awkward, but I think God can work with that. So just for a minute, I want you guys to think of worship as a training ground, okay? Worship is a training ground. What is the number one fear in America? Number one fear in America is public speaking. Public speaking. So what's so frightening about public speaking? You. You are. What's the root fear of public speaking? It's the fear of what people think. It's the opinions of others. It's it's fearing what people think. And I think it's the same thing that makes worship awkward is the fear of what people think. Because here's what happens. It would be one thing to say that we allow the opinions of others to dictate our worship to God. Right? And that would be bad. Right? To allow the opinions of other people to dictate our worship. Right? But that's not even what we do. We actually take it one step further. You see, we're guessing what their opinion is of us, and we allow that to dictate our worship to God. So in other words, it's our opinion of their opinion of us that allows us to dictate our worship to God. That's crazy. Why would we do that? See, you think that guy behind you cares that you raise your hands in worship, right? When you raise your hand in worship, don't you feel his eyes behind you? You're like, oh, everybody's looking at me. But you know what's good? Well, you know what the guy, next time you raise your hands, turn around. You know what that guy behind you is doing? He's not caring at all what you're doing. 
He's just he's worshiping God. He doesn't care less about you and, and, and your fears and your opinions. But we, we allow this fear to dictate our worship to God. And that is crazy. When we position ourselves in worship, there will always be voices that tell us to stand down. But Psalm 27, 8 tells us that there's another voice crying out. Psalm 27, verse 8 says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And this is the voice that we should be attentive to. Because when we choose to worship, it's like we're taking a physical stand for God. And when we stand for God, God stands for us. Jesus stood between Mary and her accusers. And from this we learn that if we want to extravagantly worship Jesus, we might have to fight. Fight the voice of fear, fight the voice of condemnation, or even shame. But when we fight for worship, heaven fights for us. The last thing we see in Mary's life um, will also be our conclusion and my challenge to you guys this morning. The last thing we see Mary do is the easiest thing of all. Mary does something here that everyone in this room could do today. And it has nothing to do with perfume. Amen. <laughs> Jesus tells us plainly in verse 8, he says, she did what she could. She did what she could. And I love this because I don't have a year's wage to give to Jesus. I don't have a bottle of perfume to pour on anything. But there are some things that I can do. See, this levels the playing field for all of us. Mary did something extravagant, and so can you. What is that thing that you can do? Because Mary chose to do what she could, what was within her ability, she blessed the Lord. This statement from Jesus, where he says, she did this to prepare my body for burial, lets us see that Mary's worship was significant to Jesus on a personal level. She took this perfume and she poured it on him. And it was super strong. So a few days later, as he's being whipped with the cat of nine tails and he's, he's on the post, do you think, you think he smelled the fragrance? As he's on the cross, hands spread and, and pushing up for, for air, do you think there was some lingering fragrance of that expensive perfume from Mary. See, Mary's worship blessed the Lord on a personal level. And that's the amazing thing about worship. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just, God has done so much for me. I just, he's, he's, he's blessed me in so many areas. He's, he's he really saved my life in some sense. And I just wish there was something I could do to repay him. Have you ever felt that way? Well, that's what worship is. That's what worship does. It, it gives back to God. Worship is the one thing God does not have. He doesn't have my worship until I give it to him. He doesn't have your worship until you give it to him. And when we give our worship, it blesses him significantly. It became a comfort to Jesus. So what is it that you can do? 
God has done so much for us. What is it that we can do to extravagantly love and worship Jesus? I hope you've enjoyed this podcast from our series titled, Bless the Lord. Remember, worship is a response to who God is and what He has done. God sent His only Son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sins through His death, burial, and resurrection. Our hope for you is that you accept heaven's invitation to be forgiven of all of your sin and to begin a lifestyle of heartfelt worship by praying to receive Christ as your Savior today. Take time to connect with us and share what God is doing in your life through this ministry. You can connect with us through our website, InvernessCalvary.com, or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening to this message, and God bless.